0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to This Week at the Start. Uh, thanks for joining me. Hopefully, it's either warm or getting warm wherever you're at. I know in New York, that's the case. It's a little muggy here. Granted, this is pre-recorded, so I'm sure the weather's going to change. This week, we're with Carolina Storr. I probably sang her last name wrong. Um, some of you might know her as Fox on Twitter. She, You also might know her because she is at every conference um she works with Annette and she just generally does some pretty dope ass shit she is um she's a really really cool person her and i like most of the people on the internet and that work in development became friends through john gold which apparently he knows everyone i don't know how but he does and um we just sort of kept chatting on twitter and i was looking at some of her work and and just following her online and i was like how the hell are you everywhere at the same time yet? You still have a full-time job and you still get shit done. And the great thing is in this conversation, we sort of talked about some of those things with Carolina. We talked about conference talks and, and what it was like when she gave her first one and and some small things to make sure that your talk goes well when you give them. Um, I'm not a conference talker, at least not right now. And I don't think I will anytime soon, but she still had some really good tips. We, um, also talked about a lot of her jobs and sort of how she got into this industry and programming. Um, it was, you know, I told her this episode would be called the fortune teller and it really will be because that's sort of, it's, it's hilarious. And when you, when you get listening to it, you'll understand why. Um, one of the big things that we talked about was disconnecting and disconnecting from devices um, disconnecting from the industry and sort of just exploring the world around us, you know we talk about it on the episode, but there's times where i'm on the subway and I've got my phone in my hand, and I look up and I just see sort of everyone else on their phones as well, and I think about what the hell we're doing to ourselves, staring at these devices all day long, and it's a bit depressing, you know we we've got all these people around us who've created these incredible things. But at the same time, that incredible thing, or one of those incredible things that people have created, so in this case we're talking about our phones, it's distracting us from the greatest thing that we have, and that's people on earth, uh, conversation with those people, and just sort of exploring and, and really soaking in life, And it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, we, we talk about this, we talk about what it's like to be distracted. And we talk about how we feel about that. We talk about some of the stuff that we do when we're distracted or how we get distracted. We talk about how we try to avoid that. Um, just generally speaking, the, the, the premise of disconnecting, and we discuss this is, is, is pretty damn good, right? It's not so much that, we get sick of each other, but it helps bring, you know, it helps bring things back into perspective, right? We, we don't get caught up in this fake life that we, not everyone, but that we live on Twitter, on Instagram, this idea of perfection that we try to convey to our friends, to our followers, to anyone that might come across our profiles online. And it's sort of scary, you know, um, sometimes we do that. And we end up missing out on the really, really good parts. And it's, it's not fun. I do it. We all do it. I'm not saying that I'm any better than anybody else, but it was definitely a conversation that helped change my perspective and try to make me more cognizant of those things. In fact, since we spoke, I've I've read much, many more books than I have in the past. And it's not saying that that is a goal or that's going to help me level up in anything, but I don't know, reading someone else's words, reading the thoughts that someone else had that they then crafted into a sentence and then into a story and a book was substantially better than playing dots on my phone. Um, one of the more recent books that I read, it was called Station Eleven. I'm Googling the author for you guys now. It's like a post-apocalyptic book. So it's Station Eleven by Emily St. John Mandel. I'll put that in the show notes, but it's a beautiful book about a post-apocalyptic world has nothing to do with zombies. There are no zombies, but it's just the world chronicled through this girl's story. um, The the main character's story, Kirsten, and how she's surviving. And it flip-flops between her perspective, a few other characters' perspective, and then it also goes back in time before this apocalypse happened and what the world was like and how these – characters were living it's a beautiful beautiful book I would strongly suggest you get it I'll put a link to Amazon in the show notes you can get them um anyways so yeah we talked about disconnecting we talked about her life it was a really really fun really casual talk um I'm sort of upset that Carolina hasn't been in the city yet because I'd love to get away with her so hopefully she can and if she does I'll definitely update you guys um a few housekeeping if you are not subscribed, I'd love it if you could. Um, if you are subscribed, even if you're not subscribed, share this with your friends, share it with your family. Um, let them know that this podcast exists if you'd like them to listen to it. Um, another thing that you can do is you can rate the podcast, you can also review the podcast. Any of those I'd be super appreciative of, and I'll give you a big hug when I see you. Um, without further ado, here's my episode with Carolina Store. Thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Hey, hey. Um, We talked about this before the show, but I can't say your last name. Well, I can try. Store or something like that. I'll just call you Carolina Fox because that just makes everyone's life easier. You don't have to hear me butcher your last name.
1: You did it actually pretty well, so uh, you can be proud of yourself. Usually people have just the weirdest expression on their faces when I'm uh you know, saying like because they always ask, and I say it, and they're like, "What? What did you? How do I even? Is that even? You know, can you even pronounce that?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I mean, it's just weird Polish. I mean, it's not that weird. It actually means rat in Polish, which makes people laugh at a lot."
0: <laughs> it make it means rat.
1: Yeah, it means rat, like literally. So I'm awesome. basically Carolina Rat. Like I could be <laughs> in a Pinebrook <laughs> Blend right now.
0: <laughs> that you know, it's it, it's interesting because it's. Different to me because I'm not used to hearing it, but I'm sure, uh, while it might not be a common last name in Poland, uh, I'm sure everybody there can pronounce it just fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just... uh, It's a weird thing that Poland has that people have, like, actually, like, uh, objects and, like, animals as surnames. Like, some people...
0: Oh, really? It's, like, a common thing?
1: Yeah, it's a common thing, so... That's so cool.
0: You know, I didn't... I guess... We In the U.S., we probably have some weird thing like that, too. I mean, I wouldn't notice it, but I would imagine we probably do. So, I asked you on the show because... Well, to be quite honest, I first found out about you because you had probably the coolest Twitter name that I've seen. Um, and, and you're not, like, you're not Fox, the, the major studio. You know, like, Fox, 21st Century, like, the movie company. So, I was like, oh, shit. Like, she's got to be legit. And I think... We started chatting just randomly on Twitter. I forget through who. It was somebody. So I think it might have been John Gold. He's been, I think this season's theme is John Gold because I've spoken to a few people who know him. Um, But I think John mentioned you and I in a tweet together and that's what started us talking about random shit on the internet.
1: Yeah, I think so. John just connects people. He's he's really one of the... Nicest and uh, most awesome people I know. So,
0: I'm I'm sure when he was a kid, his parents were like, "He's going to get himself in trouble." Like I could see him just as an eight year old walking up to random people and be like, "Hi, I'm John. Who are you?" And his, and his parents are just like standing back in fear, like, "Oh my god!" But so you're in Poland, you're in Krakow. Is that where you grew up?
1: Yeah, um, I was born here in. I guess I've been living here since forever. I never moved, but I started traveling quite extensively, I think three or four years ago, um, mm-hmm. for work and conferences. So now every single time I actually like I am in my own hometown and I bump into one of my friends somewhere in the city, they're like, What are you doing here? And I'm like, Thank you for this kind of welcoming. And like I actually <laughs> technically still live here. Uh, but yeah, I've been traveling a lot. So uh, officially, I say yeah, Krakow is like my home. That's where I live. But I guess I don't really really like live anywhere <laughs> permanently.
0: Yeah, <clears throat> how big is Krakow?
1: I don't know in terms of you know like um, square miles or anything like that. I know that it has like at least 800k people. So like it's not a super oh, tiny yeah. city. Like it it was a capital. Several hundred years ago, we have a fancy castle. Uh, it's very historic. It's very beautiful. Um, often people say it's very similar to Prague, and people know Prague more than Krakow for some reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like from the perspective of someone that traveled a lot, it's, it has become quite small. But objectively speaking, I guess it's not.
0: Interesting. Um, I asked that because, well, I've never heard of it, but in the US, I would argue and say that Florida public school system doesn't really teach you a lot about other nations or countries for that matter, um, which is probably why I don't know a lot about it. So that's Florida's fault. But I'm curious how you got into the tech scene in Krakow. And I asked that, not knowing anything about what it's like to live there, what it's like to grow up in regards to, like, having this interest in technology.
1: My interest in technology started through photography. My dad loved to take pictures and we had a lot of gear, like old Russian cameras and whatnot. And he was actually, like, developing film in our basement. So he taught me, yeah. So he taught me, like, all the things. And I was really into that and art in general, so to say. So um then finally we got some really really crappy computer like I don't know when I was like seven or something so I started tinkering with that um we didn't have internet for a long long time then of course there was a dial-up connection it was really bad really slow and very expensive so they used to like ground me every single week because I would give them like the worst you know like I was the reason why they were spending so much money on internet because I would like sneak in to the attic where the computer was located and I was like ah just for five minutes and then five hours later I'm like oops <laughs> so that 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 was me um but yeah I was trying to like kind of find information about um, photography and whatnot and then I stumbled upon uh, Photoshop and designing websites and I was like oh, that would be cool if I could do that so I just you know I just started learning just like kind of trying to figure out how websites were built, trying to, you know, take them apart and then maybe trying to build something of my own. So it's, I feel like that's a super common pattern for like most of creatives that I know. So just like my friends bought me a laptop or a computer and I started, I was curious, I started tinkering and then I started learning and then I got a job. Um, The the job market in Poland is still kind of, really tough I know a lot of people who are like especially young people who don't have any jobs or who are kind of like have jobs that pay really badly even in tech so oh, wow. um, I started pretty early and I actually started my first job oh now I totally remember this is going to be a great story I totally wanted to say that my first job was working in a, a real estate agency as a designer and developer just doing some you know, like print design for them and the website and whatnot. But actually, that wasn't my first job. My first job I found it by um, through a Polish equivalent of Craigslist, and the only thing that it said was, "We're looking for moderators for chat, and we'll pay you money for that." And I'm like, "Is that real?" It just
0: when what, what year was this?
1: That was um, well, I must have been like 16 or 17. So that was like 10 years ago, something like that. Okay. So people were using chats in different forms a lot. Yeah. So that was an a legit, apparently, job at that I found. So I was like, that would be great. And I'm still like preparing to, you know, get into studying and whatnot. So I don't have much time. So that would be great for me. It was, like, actually first remote job that I had. So um, I called them up, and it was actually, like, it, it wasn't a joke. It was a true job. They invited me to Warsaw, which is uh, three or four hours by train from Krakow, to, like, mm-hmm. get the training. And, um, and I went there. And apparently it was, um, I don't know if you have those in U.S., but... Um, in Poland, when you open, like, a news, actually printed newspaper, you have those ads for, like, someone telling you your future and stuff like that. And they have, like, really weird names. Yeah, exactly. So, my job was being a fortune teller through uh, their web panel. It was amazing. And this is not a joke. I'm not joking. This was my first job. Yeah. Um, it they had this web uh panel for basically receiving text messages that someone was sending to this number that was advertised and then you were supposed to you actually use tired cards to tell them their future it was so amazing it was so funny and they were paying me money to to be doing that so uh that was my first
0: job wow wow yeah <laughs> <laughs> I think that I think that's going to be the the name of this episode is the fortune teller.
1: <laughs> yeah, I always forget. I I almost forgot about that, but it really cracks people up when I tell them, but it's totally true. I'm not lying. Uh so but that was obviously just just you know like a job because it was convenient to um you know schedule shifts and uh and make some money aside from like actually getting some education. Yeah. Um, and then I started working as a designer at a real estate agency, um, which basically like it wasn't super interesting, but like I was learning, like I was a total beginner. So um, that was a good experience for me. And then I don't even remember what happened afterwards. Afterwards, I think I've joined this company called Applicate, which doesn't exist anymore because right now they shifted to something that's called Pipe Jump, and it's like a CRM. I think they're one of the most, uh, important and, uh, famous startups from, from Krakow for, for sure. They raised a bunch of money as well. And they were all over TechCrunch if that's, uh, you know, like a factor for being awesome or something like that. Um, I don't know. So I guess, I guess it was just the natural curiosity that I had and I was into like art and creativity and photography and whatnot. So It just kind of shifted to tech because like, I don't know, I was, I was curious. And then I was lucky enough and uh, determined enough to be doing that. But I searched for jobs and even if like, I didn't really feel like I was the person that would fit the criteria of like a job posting, I applied anyway. And I went for all the interviews and I was really excited and I was very willing to learn and I I was trying to be super humble. And everyone was really welcoming. And I don't know, I always usually got what I wanted. So I don't know, I guess that that was my story, at least here here in Poland.
0: That's really cool. So you started when you were 16, well, in the job market. Is that common for people at that age to go out and get jobs in Poland? I know absolutely nothing about Poland, the culture's workforce. And like, in the US, you can you are legally able to work at 16. Whether or not you'll find a job at a restaurant or a mall is totally up into fate's hands. So were you like the only one of your friends that was working?
1: So I don't, I don't think it's actually something that happens a lot here in Poland. There is this, um, I guess, stereotype in a way, although it's culture as well, Um that you have to go through like your entire education process and then find a job. So you go to, you go to like uh, primary school, secondary school, high school, and then you go and study and you get like masters or even two masters because people are crazy ambitious or something. And they think that that will guarantee them a job, which, which was mm-hmm. true in the past like 40 or 30 years ago, but not now. So, um, I, I've seen a lot of people who started working at like 24, age 24, 25, which I think is pretty bizarre and it's really pushing your, you know, like chances here. But, um, I don't know, I was, I was just kind of like, I wanted to be independent. I wanted to have my own money and like, I was kind of bored in school. So, um, I don't know. I just started very early and, but a lot of my friends were, were waiting till they like graduate
0: yeah what did your parents think of this?
1: Uh they were super supportive. I have a really good relationship with my parents, and they don't have higher education at all because it was a really tough time in Poland when they were growing up, and they weren't like you know wealthy at all, so they don't have higher education um yeah they were they are and they were really proud of me
0: so That's awesome. It's nice to have, like, um, I could imagine that, let's say somebody, I don't know, technically, I think the legal working age in in the US is like 14 or something like that, I think. And that's like a stipulation only because back when we were an agricultural um, country, the younger you could get them in the fields to help harvest the crops, the more beneficial it was for, you know, the farmer. Um, and I think what happens in the U S is while you might be able to work at 14, no one expects you to. And if you're a kid that tries to people are like, ah, just relax. Like, don't even worry about it. But it sounds like your parents are like, no, go for it. Like if we don't have to buy you stuff, it's even better.
1: Yeah. I don't know. I just don't really like the feeling of being dependent and, despite that I just I don't know I just have a lot of things that I want to do and like I don't want to be asking someone else for money so um that was something that I wanted to do and like I had goals like I want to buy this camera so like I have to have money for it from somewhere like I'm not going to like ask my parents who are like like we weren't in like really good uh financial situation for a very long time like I I know a lot of people who were raised while having a lot of money and it totally spoiled them. Mm -hmm. Um, I was raised while not having any money at all. So Mm -hmm. um, I kind of learned, you know, like that. I just have to make them on my own. Like if I want things, like I just have to get a job. And that was natural for me. So I wanted to start early. And I don't know, I never had this weird thinking that was like, if I have a master's degree, that guarantees me a job. That was always yeah. so weird to me, even when I was, like, really young and didn't really know anything about life. Not that I know everything about life right now, but, yeah.
0: That's interesting. Uh, how long were you at those first two jobs, the the fortune teller job and then the real estate job?
1: I'm um, pretty sure that the fortune telling was like a summer job. Um, Gotcha. It started like in June and then I did it for like three or four months and then the other one was actually like two years or something which usually is like a maximum for me. Like I've never worked anywhere for more than two and a half years I think.
0: Yeah. Did you know how to to do the the, the tarot card reading thing or did they have to teach you that?
1: No, no. I, I had no idea. They were, they actually like gave us the cards and the materials saying like this is what that card means this is what the card means like a you know negative scenario and positive scenario and in the context of other cards it was really ridiculous I was laughing all the time but it was my <laughs> job so I was like and you know imagine the situation of like getting the same people because there were several several people who were texting like all the time so they would yeah. ask you the same questions all over again and you can't give them you know like different answers all the time so Uh, For, like, two or three days, they would get the same answers, but they will text again. Like, it was forever, never-ending, like, text messages from them. And uh, sometimes they were really, like, showing a lot of personal details. Like, you wouldn't really – it was really surprising to me. And, of course, there were a lot of uh, funny but not funny messages, as in, like, am I pregnant? Yeah. Where you just can't kind of, like, you just have to tell them, like, you should just go and buy a pregnancy test because you really should do that and take care of yourself. <laughs> but imagine, uh, imagine someone who is barely 18 doing that.
0: Yeah.
1: It's kind That's of crazy. ridiculous. Yeah, it is ridiculous.
0: Um, so where'd you go after? So you did this tarot card reading thing and that was purely just to get some, to be independent financially. It sounds like. Then you went on to this real estate gig, which it sounds like was your first professional foray into design, development, et cetera. Um, and you still had this photography thing, like bug I don't want to call it a bug, because that makes it sound like it goes away. You were still interested in photography as you had been this entire time. Where did you go after that?
1: Yeah, after that I uh I joined this company called Applicate, the one I've mentioned. Oh
0: yeah, that's right. And what were you doing there?
1: Uh Oh, my God. That was so long ago. Um, I think I was doing mostly QA and a little bit of design. I was kind of, like, scattered all over the place. It wasn't a full-time job, so I was just, like, helping with a bunch of stuff that they needed help with. A little bit of front-end, a little bit of design, a little bit of QA. But since it wasn't full-time and it wasn't really I – was, I didn't feel like I was learning a lot. So yeah. I was hired by a company that was actually based in Australia. Called XHTMLized as a front end developer. And it was an agency that at the time being, they mostly did um, like front end conversion, as in like PSD to HTML. That was a thing back then. So I was working there for three years. Um, I learned some stuff in terms of front end um, and JavaScript as well, but that was. It was good for like a year, and then I kind of stayed because um, I was working with a lot of my friends, so mm-hmm. it was just like kind of fun in terms of being social and uh, working in a group. Uh, but after that, I felt like it's not really challenging me anymore, so I started for looking something remote because I couldn't really find anything that would be, I guess, good enough or interesting. Maybe not good enough. That's not a good way of phrasing that. Uh, interesting for me. Yeah. Uh, and the startup scene in Krakow at that point wasn't really, it was just starting. So there weren't like a lot of companies uh, to choose from. And I did not want it to like work in a huge corporation. That wasn't really interesting for me or appealing at all. So uh, that's when I started for, you know, like looking somewhere outside of the country.
0: Oh, wow. And so did, to me, that seems like a really large feat to be like, I'm this young person, you know, 18 to 22, somewhere in that range. There's not a lot of industry where I'm from. So I'm just going to start looking outside of the country. When were you, what year was it that you started doing that? Or what year did you do the HTML, HTML, xHTMLized?
1: Oh, I totally, I totally don't remember years at this point. Um... I think that was like um, four or five years ago when it quit or something like that.
0: Okay. So like I guess the, the the notion of working remotely wasn't as popular then as it is now. And I'm speaking from a corporate side, right? Like companies, for the most part, weren't all about, you know, oh, let me just hire this person that I've never physically seen to do work at a location that I'm not at. So on your end, what was the thinking to be like, I'm going to go get a a job that's remote?
1: Well, I don't don't remember that I was thinking about it in terms of like the concept of being remote. I don't think that concept was very popular back then, as you said. Um, It was just the notion of like, there's nothing challenging for me here, so I have to look elsewhere. But I can't move yet, so it has to be like someone has to be okay with me basically working as a contractor or something like that, which was mm-hmm. actually gotcha a thing. So, um, and I always felt comfortable, you know, like you know, using English and whatnot because I was lucky enough that my parents signed me up for English when I was seven. Uh, And they were really pushing me. I hated it. I was screaming at them. And I was really angry about that, which I think is really funny. But um, yeah, they sent me up when I was seven. And I did that for 12 years. And the school I was attending was amazing. So uh, I think I had a lot of privilege, which contributed to the way I kind of shaped my dirty word career. Uh, Because a lot of people that I know... Like they all understand English and they can speak like okay English, but they feel very intimidated about it. And about speaking English, sir, what?
0: They they feel intimidated about speaking English. Yes, gotcha. Yes, okay,
1: and um, because the level of education in public schools in terms of English, it's at least from my experience, it was pretty bad. So um, they're not only really intimidated because they feel like they don't really have a lot of vocabulary. They also are intimidated by their obvious Polish accent. Like you can really, you know, people who are not from native English speakers, they have different accents. And the Polish yep. one is pretty, pretty heavy, in my opinion. So um, they're intimidated by their by their kind of like lack of knowledge or expertise and also accent as well. So um I've seen many situations when I would invite some people from UK or people from Merck and they would come to Krakow and we'll be hanging out with our uh, friends from, uh, from Poland speak. And they were like, I, you know what, like I can't really speak English right now. I mean, I can, but I feel really ashamed of doing that. Yeah. So there is, there is a huge barrier and I don't know many people who actually, you know, either moved in, like moved out somewhere or, are working with English clients at all because they just don't feel very comfortable about that.
0: Well, it's crazy. I you know, I never thought about it, about how that small thing. I mean, it, it's small in terms of like it, it it's a it's a simple concept, uh, but it's still like a pretty packed one, right? Like if you didn't have such uh a, a mastery of the language, it probably wouldn't have been as easy for you to go get jobs elsewhere, right?
1: Yeah, I don't think so. People, it really affects how people, you know, put themselves out there. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't really know a lot of people who are doing speaking. And I know a lot of people who are doing development and design. They're just, or they're not doing any any writing at all in English because they're intimidated. And I find it really, really sad and I'm trying to, um, trying to encourage them and like offer them advice and maybe some proofreading or I don't know, coaching. Uh, of course, like my skills aren't flawless as well, but, um, I'm just like trying to, to help them go out there because it really, um, yeah, it's really sad to see that people are not, you know, like, um, searching for opportunities at all because they feel like, well, this is where I am. This is, These are my opportunities, and this is how it is.
0: Yeah. Well, it's good that you sort of branched out past that, Um, and at the same time, it's it's just like with development. You, if you keep doing it, you'll get better at it, even if it's the same thing. So, as you continue to take speaking engagements, or talk on podcasts, or just communicate with anybody in general, um, you, you get better at it. You learn some of the nuances. Yeah, it's, I don't know, I, I I think it's pretty interesting. It's, you and Christine both are not from the U.S., and to my knowledge, for Christine as well, it's her second language. But, you know, aside from you having an accent, I wouldn't have never known. And I think that, that it's very nice um, to see that people out there sort of learn other languages, uh, not development, but, you know, to communicate with people and on top of that how far it's gotten them like it's I don't know I think it's pretty cool that you are from Poland or from Krakow I would imagine aside from school like if you guys in your schools didn't um, teach an additional language which I wish the U.S. did a lot more of you probably wouldn't be down this path uh, and if you were, it might be a little bit rougher. It might be a little slower. You might be a little farther behind. But it's still pretty crazy how this small little piece um, plays into such a large role in your life. Especially because, correct me if I'm wrong, but anywhere that you were doing development, you were, you had to write in English, right? Yeah. So, did you did you think of that as... Obviously, you don't think of it as practice when you're doing it. But did you realize that? You're like, oh, I'm, I'm typing in English.
1: Well, um I don't know. Maybe at the beginning, right now, I'm in this super weird spot where I think I have more friends from UK and US than in Poland. Mm -hmm. And I'm interacting like in English more than in Polish, especially when I travel, which is obvious. But uh, sometimes I just come home and I'm meeting with my parents and I want to tell them like a story or something about my trip. And I totally forget like half of the words in Polish, which is really bizarre. And I start speaking in English and I'm like. God damn it! What was what was that word I wanted to use? I can't remember. I don't even how. And I need a dictionary for English to Polish because I forgot. So oh my that's gosh! A pretty bizarre, <laughs> that's a pretty bizarre place to be at at this point.
0: Yeah, that's great. I you know I never thought about it like that. Like the fact that you might not that you would lose the ability to speak in your native language, but that you you speak in English or another language so predominantly that you're like, wait, what was that again? That's crazy, um so at this point, you've sort of just to recap where we are in your life story. you did fortune teller, which I think is hilarious real estate you worked at um I think you said it's called base now base c r m um and then you did some remote stuff, yeah in all of this, where does the speaking gigs come in
1: um so I think this The speaking gig, the first one that I got was a total accident. Um, Mm -hmm. I was working at uh, this startup called Nojitsu at that time. And um, I was kind of, I guess, visible in the community in some way. I wasn't doing any speaking at all. But um, someone that I've met at some point here in Krakow said to me, I'm organizing this conference about uh, mobile. And that was like, you know. The beginning of the whole responsive web design notion and whatnot and we we're doing a conference and they said i'm doing a conference in krakow um i need some speakers it's in a week do you want to speak
0: and of course you said yes
1: and i'm like i am totally i don't know i've never done that i'm super afraid of public speaking it literally terrifies me yeah that's such a bad idea and it's in a week like this is not a good idea but of course i said yes of course because we designers and creatives in general we have problems with saying no so i said yes and uh it was a very bad talk well maybe not very bad but uh of course what was it about it was about responsive web design like the uh, very basic uh, very basics of responsive web design um It wasn't, maybe it wasn't that bad, but I was very stressed and, you know, like the delivery, of course, like it wasn't perfect. Um, It was a good experience, though. I mean, it was kind of like a weird um, feeling because when I was there, I was so stressed. I thought like I'm going to faint in a second and um, I didn't really feel accomplished or anything because it was my first dog and like I didn't really know. There weren't many materials online about public speaking. Um so it was kind of like, you know, the whole conference, um the conference thing was kicking off, I would say. Like there were conferences, but there weren't really like many of them. So um uh,
0: yeah, there's like a conference every week now.
1: Yeah, exactly. So um it was it was a good experience. I was really stressed and I wasn't really happy after I did that. But then I got asked again in Poland and again I said yes. <laughs>
0: What was um, what was the first conference?
1: Uh, the first one, I don't even remember the name. It was it was called Moby Moby, I think Moby or something like. It's not famous, and they did it only once. Um, uh, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And then there was this conference that was completely free. Um, that was organized by a guy who started a series of uh, meetups about JavaScript in Poland in different cities. Uh, called Meet JS, and he did a conference for free at a university. And he said, "Well, I'm just going to like invite all the people that I know. They they did some speaking and they have interesting stuff to say. So I was one of the people that he invited, and I said yes. Um, that was another kind of like bad performance. I guess still kind of trying to figure out how to even like approach preparing a talk, how to do it, um, how to pick a good topic." and i I was given a lot of freedom in terms of uh picking a topic and whatnot uh so I kind of picked wrong, which kind of affected the way I delivered the talk It was what like, do you
0: mean what do you mean you picked wrong
1: well because I feel like, like you picked the wrong topic, yeah
0: or just something that wasn't timely at the moment, like maybe you're talking about a concept that either wasn't like hot at the time or it was maybe too advanced
1: no 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 i i What I mean is that I think that the best talks that people do are, well, first of all, I don't really do technical talks at all at this point because I don't find them that interesting for myself. Um, But if you're doing a technical talk, like about front-end CSS or JavaScript, whatever, it has to be something, it should be something that you are already doing and you know a lot about it because it really affects how you deliver. Like, if yeah. you're like, I want to do a talk about um, performance, but I've only done a little bit, and I will just research the rest of it. This is basically usually a recipe for a disaster, and that's what yeah. I did. So uh, I was I was talking about um, accessibility and landmark roles and the whole um, ARIA specification. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Um, yep
0: vaguely i know a little bit about it
1: yeah so i've done a little bit and i was definitely in, interested in accessibility but i approached the topic from like from like the wrong angle and i thought that i would have a lot of time to research and then you know like have this awesome lecture But, of course, I didn't have enough time, so it ended up being not that great as I, you know, thought it would be. But it was a great experience in terms of, like, learning, and, you know, it's just hard at the very beginning. So, I don't know, like, I, I would totally do it again, just to learn.
0: I could imagine that for anybody who, let's say you get invited to speak somewhere and you don't have a topic. The first, I mean, the first thing I would do is be like, well, what do I know about that is interesting to talk about? And then I can just backfill the rest of my talk with information that I found out online, which just like you said, probably doesn't go too well.
1: Yeah, I mean like it's it's a generalization to say like it just doesn't work because for some people it will totally work. I uh but I would be definitely cautious with with doing that. I've done probably around seventeen presentations at this oh, point. Oh wow.
0: That's that's a lot
1: in the last three years. So um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I have some experiences in terms of speaking. And what if one of the most important lessons that I've learned is like you kind of, it has to be something you are deeply passionate about. It doesn't have to be technical at all. Even if you're applying for technical conferences, like soft talks, um, like about creativity being, I don't know, depressed or like being vulnerable struggling with, you know, creativity and even, yeah, depression. Like these are topics that are really, and I hate to, to use this word, but like popular at conferences and they are very important. So um, people who who are reaching out to me saying, I need some conference advice or like, how do I write a proposal? Uh, I tell them, okay, you should try to apply to JSConf or maybe this other conference, and they're like, "Well, but it has JS in the name," and I'm and I'm telling them every single time, it doesn't matter. It's seriously, it's about design. It will be about the weirdest things you would never anticipate to yeah. see. Like, it's not about JavaScript. I know it sounds weird because the name says JavaScript, but that's not. It's just like you know, it's just a name. We really talk about a bunch of you know, different topics. So you shouldn't be afraid to apply with anything really that you think it's mildly relevant for anyone like working in, in tech or like creative industry.
0: No, I think that makes sense. It, I would imagine that the the name or type of conference is more so what attracts a particular type of person. So JF, JS Conf is probably going to attract um multiple levels of javascript developers but that doesn't mean that any of the talks have to be about javascript just like you said like people can still use a nice kick in the butt even if it's not about javascript
1: yeah and and uh right now i see a lot of conference who are when they're announcing call for papers they're very specific about the topics that they they want to see covered which is very you know like it makes things easier for people who are applying because they're like well I can totally write a proposal about some of these things, so um that that makes that easier i don't know speaking speaking is a very tricky thing. it takes a lot of time at least for me um I usually spend roughly forty to sixty hours on writing one talk well that's that's a lot of time
0: yeah that i mean it you know i've i've i've, I've never thought about speaking. I think it could be pretty fun once you get past the scary and the stress and the freaking out part, for me at least. Um, growing up, when I had to do talks, like when I had to present a project at school, I never really prepared. Granted, that's like school, right? So I don't I don't know that I would, I don't know how I would feel. I would probably say yes, and I would probably bomb if someone asked me to do a talk somewhere. Um, I don't know, that's, It's crazy how much time, like, it makes me think, well, one, it makes me want to go see you speak somewhere, right? Now that I know that you spend so much time in it, I'm sure that it's it's of high quality. But it also makes me want to go to, like, event apart and ask someone, like, hey, how long did did it take you to come up with this? Only because I could imagine the time is directly correlated to the quality, unless you're like Ethan Marcotte, who has spent, you know, a better part of his professional career on one topic. He can probably whip up a, a, a talk on responsive design in, like, 10 minutes.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like, um, there are a lot of factors for for um, the preparation uh, part. Like, there's actually making slides, and I've seen some pre- presentations that were amazing, and people had no slides. Like, yeah. slides are just for the audience. Like, they aren't really... Or a container for your notes, but they aren't really... You know, like you don't have to have them if you if you you know feel confident. You don't you don't need them. Uh, slides rehearsal, which I think takes less time if you're a native speaker. Like I still get very stressed. Like I will forget this one word, and I will be so confused on stage because I forgot this one word, and it's not my native language. Yeah. Um. So preparation, uh, slides, and writing the talk. Um. I've seen a lot of people who write the talk in this weird scenario which is creating slides and then trying to write a talk based on slides which is the worst thing you can do.
0: It's sort of like working backwards.
1: Yeah. Because for me a talk is like a well-written narrative. So you kind of have to write an article, like a story that you are telling because that's what it is. And then make slides if you want to have them. Like that's how you you know do good talks because I don't know, you want to like be entertaining or like you want to tell a story. So how can you tell a story if you're not writing like, you know, a liner narrative?
0: No, it's a really, you know, it's a good point because I, again, in my younger days when I had to do presentations, I would do the same thing. I would w- open up PowerPoint and just jump in, start dr- like dropping in like bullet uh, bulleted lists of crap. And then sort of craft my presentation around that. And now I sort of understand why I got the C's and D's that I did.
1: <laughs> that that is the that is the way like I write my presentations as well. Like I started with bullet points and just kind of like dropping all the thoughts that I had like while taking a shower or running yeah. uh, or something like that. But um, it has to be crafted as a narrative and you can quite easily, you know, like see if someone is doing that or not. Because these talks just like make so much sense and there is story and there's like beginning and there is a summary and it just makes sense. And otherwise, I don't know. And in terms of stress, because you mentioned stress, uh, the stress really doesn't ever go away. Like there's always a certain level of stress that will be there when you're doing public speaking. And like I've done only around 20 talks and I know people who have done like 50 of them. But every single person will tell you that there is always stress at, at some level. Maybe not like crippling fear, but um, there is stress at some point. Um, and if they're saying that there's no stress, they're lying to you. Don't believe them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've seen, the, you know, like the most prolific developers speak and they were freaking out before their talks. Like I've seen Eddie money I've seen Jake Archibald, Like I've seen so many, like I've, I've even seen Christian Hellman who has done like probably 70 talks at this point. And they were all really stressed before, like even more, more stressed than I was, which was mind blowing to me because like, they're, you know, like the person you, you look up to, right. And they, they like know everything and they like wrote some specs and whatnot. So you would assume that, you know, like they don't have to be stressed, but you know, there is something, something about, you know, opening yourself so much and being so vulnerable by, you know, like showing on this stage and like sharing knowledge, which, you know, by audience is seen as something, you know, like, yeah, this is a fact. What this person is telling me right now, it has to be true. It has to be good because, you know, they're on the stage right now.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I would imagine it's the um, it's the idea that you are, you are on a pedestal, right? Like that you are, I mean, think about without getting like super like philosophical and shit, stages are higher than the people, than where people are sitting. So it's always seen as a performance. And if you don't perform well, then people are upset, right? Cause you're taking their time. So I'd imagine just the whole structure of the whole thing is sort of just, I don't know, it's stressful. Like having a whole room of people look at you and you don't perform well, it, that would freak me out. I don't know how you do it. I don't know.
1: Yeah, well, it's 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 challenging, but it's also um, rewarding. Although I think that at some point it's more rewarding to the audience than yourself, because after you've done a lot of speaking, you're like, well, I mean, I love sharing knowledge, and like it gives you some kind of popularity, I guess, if you care about that. But other yeah. than that, like, it doesn't really it doesn't really give you anything, I guess. I don't know. That that was a thought I recently had. Like, it doesn't really accept the popularity. It doesn't really, it gives you, like, you know, great opportunity to travel, usually for free, which is amazing and yeah. it's a huge privilege. And you meet a lot of people. It's amazing. But on the other hand, for you, as a, you know, like, if you're thinking about yourself as a, you know, someone who wants to, like, be growing and be a better creative like it doesn't really it doesn't really give you much it, it teaches other people your audience like they are getting inspired by you or they hear about something that they've never heard about but for you it's doing the same thing all over again even if you're writing new talks all the time like it's something that you're familiar with so in terms of like experience and actual growth well, it makes you grow as a speaker and as a person for sure. It's a huge experience. But on that like in terms of career path or something like that, it's a it's a huge time investment and I feel like at some point you just have to say no because it's just too much. That's that's what I've been thinking lately. I've been just doing too too much of it and I just kind of have to, you know, um go he- heads down and um work on stuff that I want to work on because um yeah conferences are great but also exhausting
0: is there any reason why you were speaking at conferences in the past was there like one or two focal points as to why you're doing it aside from people just randomly asking you
1: I think it just kind of yeah randomly started and then I kind of started liking it and I loved traveling uh and it was uh definitely like a learning experience to me um yeah I mean in terms of like you know being a better writer being a better speaker uh, and being a better person as well in terms of you know communication uh with people while being on stage and off stage you know during all the like social events surrounding um the conferences and whatnot so for me it was definitely like a growing experience not in terms of like actual tech knowledge but more like human interaction knowledge, which actually fits pretty well with what I was studying because I was studying human-computer interaction, which kind of, like, ingrained in my brain somewhere in the back.
0: Yeah. No, that's really cool. At what point... When did you end up at Anyet? Like, where does Anyet fall into this whole puzzle? Not puzzle, but storyline, I guess.
1: Um, I started working at Anyet a year and a half ago, and it was a total accident. Um... I was just kind of finishing off a contract uh, with some startup from from US. And uh, I think they run out of money or something like that. And this kind of like abrupt ending. So mm-hmm. um, I started looking for a job, of course, remote again. And um, I was kind of talking to friends on Twitter and asking around, hey, do you know something like I'm looking for something good? I would like to, you know, learn more and work with awesome people that's really important to me and then um actually uh Jan linhardt who is running a hoodie and JSConf eu in berlin he told me you should totally talk to this guy adam brault i think you you will really like him and you should work with him uh which is uh-huh. adam is the founder of and yet um so i had this call with adam that really lasted 30 minutes and it was kind of awkward because sometimes adam is awkward in a in a funny way <laughs> so we had this 30 minute call and we just decided like we just met each other and he decided yeah we should totally work together and see how it goes like i've i've heard uh good stuff about you and um I think it would work out great. So let's just do it. So that was the shortest job interview in my life. That That's awesome. Up, yeah. That ended up being the the definitely the best job of my life. I mean, I'm just so, you know, like happy every single day because I get to work with the most amazing people ever. I actually never, you know, like, I don't know, a lot of people get excited about the technology they work with, or like the challenges they're facing at their work. And I get excited mm-hmm. about that too. But for, you know, what's more important for me is actually the human factor of it. So, like, I just have to work with amazing people who are really, you know, who care about each other, like, genuinely. And um, that's, that's End Yet for me. I don't know. Like, a lot of people ask me about End Yet, and I feel like maybe they think that I'm like kind of, you know, like buttering it up or something like that. I'm not, but I understand that it might sound that way. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It's just a really unique place to be. Um, Everyone is really, truly uh, caring about each other, and it's kind of like working with family, but the family that you don't hate but really, really love. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I've been there for a year and a half. Um, They're in Washington State. Um,
0: But uh, there's a handful of people that are remote there, correct? Yes.
1: Yes. Yes, I think, yeah, well, not a half of the team, but a significant part of the team is remote. And even despite the fact of having an awesome office, everyone is free to like work from home because a lot of people have families and, you know, that's like kind of a different level of of your life. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of, you know, time difference uh, is huge, nine hours, so it kind of bums me out, but I... We've learned to work around it and um, we have our remote uh, strategies to, you know, make everyone feel comfortable. So not only for collaboration, but also, you know, like getting in touch and kind of staying close to each other because, you know, I can work uh, during the Polish daytime and Mm -hmm. almost no one is online. Yeah. And if, you know, technically we could never like talk to each other because, it's already evening for me when, you know, everyone is waking up. So, um So yeah, but we've we've managed to establish a lot of um little, little things um even like calls uh or like daily check-ins that we have to, you know, like manage the the, you know, human connection that we have with, with each other.
0: That's so how do you because okay, you brought up a, an interesting point in that you I think you said Poland is nine hours ahead. How have you maintained relationships with your friends in the U.S. or just places that are basically you're always nine hours ahead of your friends? So when they're waking up, you are getting ready to go to bed, give or take a few hours. So I would imagine you go to sleep late. Like, how does that work?
1: I'm really... I've done the, you know, like getting to bed really late or trying to like kind of shift my own time zone kind of thing. But yeah. um, I ended up having crazy insomnia and just being super tired because it was obviously something that I shouldn't be doing. And besides spending a lot of time with, you know, screens, laptops, right before you go to bed, it had a terrible effect on my like well-being. Uh, And I really care about my well-being. I'm really super conscious about it. So um, I have a lot of friends, not only like India, which is nine hours, but also like San Francisco and the entire coast. New York is a little bit better because that's six hours. But I also have friends in Australia, which is plus 10 hours, which is even more confusing. Oh, wow. Uh, So yeah, I mean, times are super confusing, and I kind of hate them. But the way that I try to deal with them, um, I don't know. I just try to like uh, connect with people in different ways than text only. So Mm -hmm. um, we've actually built that thing, shameless plug, uh, called Talkie, which is basically like Hangouts, but you don't have to log in. Um, it's built on WebRTC, um, that we contribute to a lot. Um,
0: what's the, uh, what's the domain for it?
1: Uh, talkie.io. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. So we, we usually just kind of have this, this slang and we say, well, do you want a talkie? And, uh, (laughs) you know, like we just log in and it's just like have super casual conversations and, you know, like on video chat, like on Hangouts, uh, instead of just like doing text all the time or emailing or Slack or whatever medium. Um, I FaceTime my friends a lot. I, I message with my friends. I just, I don't know. Like I'm just trying to, you know, maintain a more human interaction, right? And just like Twitter or emails. I don't know. There's, I'm kind of trying to back off from Twitter because I feel like it's great. It's a great tool and it gives you a lot of visibility and it gives you a lot of interaction with people. But on the mm-hmm. other hand, um, it makes that interaction very superficial. So if you do an experiment of trying to limit your presence on Twitter, you kind of see like who is really who are you interested in and who is interested in you know, like having connection with you. Because yep. if you disappear, people will, will reach out to you and you will reach out to people that you are interested in. Uh, which I think is a good way of like managing, you know, um, your interactions because you can only have so many. Um, so I've been doing that for for a while, just kind of like limiting my Twitter presence or trying to, and um, and trying to connect on like different more meaningful levels uh, with my friends who are very far away, and also traveling all the time to see them, of course.
0: Well, that's uh, you know, that's interesting. I never thought about the. Quote unquote leaving Twitter in that way, but it really makes sense. You know, I think we, I think in part with how fast the internet is and how fast technology has become, Twitter has always been a go to, whether you're saying hello to a friend, reconnecting with someone that you met a while ago, bitching about service somewhere or whatever, we all just sort of jump to it as like our second voice. But then when you realize that it's becoming your first voice, if you realize, then you're like, wait, wait a second. Like, I need to get the fuck off this screen and start looking at the people around me and the things going on around me. That's, you know, you sort of make me want to do that now. i sort of just want to like jump off Twitter and Facebook and see what happens.
1: Yeah, I didn't, you know, like go as far as like complete, completely turning it off because I still find it useful. And especially when I travel for conferences, like I kind of want to use it. But um, I definitely want to be more you know, like cautious kind of about how I use it. And I want to have more meaningful relationships with people that I care about. So, you know, you, when you are, especially I think in New York, like you go somewhere to a coffee shop, which I have done in the past for so many months and just sit there on your own. You see like all the people are like deep down, heads down, you know, in their laptops or screens. And even if they're like together in a group, sitting together, just like enjoying brunch or, or whatever, feel like, you know, like using technology all the time. And I mean, like technology is great. I love it. But I mean, it's, it's, you know, like we can do so much stuff. Thanks, thanks to it. But, um, I don't know. I just, it's something that really bothered me in the past that, you know, I would go out with someone and there were like a few people like that and they would not pay attention to me. They were like, Yeah, yeah, I totally care about what you're talking about, but I just need to reply to this tweet or like, I just have to, like, check this thing right now. And, of course, like, it wasn't important or anything like that, but it was just, like, kind of, I don't know. For me, it was just, like, super disrespectful and something that I really, I don't want to be that person. Like, when I go out with my friends, I want to be, you know, like, I want to have a meaningful time with them because that's what matters now, like, what's happening somewhere in some, I don't know, like, about, like, another argument about some framework or, like, another real weird internet meme about goats or dress or something. I don't know
0: what was the last one, but yeah, it's the, yeah, the fricking dress one. I hate the dress one. Uh, no, you know, it's interesting. Cause I think it happens to me sometimes. Um, I'll be on the subway going to work and I've been reading a book lately, uh, which I, I do relatively frequently, but not enough. I don't think um, it was a fiction book. It was pretty good. And, like, sometimes, I don't know about you, but, like, I'll be reading and be like, man, let me just stop reading real quick and look around me. And I look around and everyone, with the exception of me and, like, maybe two other people, are on their phone. Listening to music, playing a game on the internet. And I've gotten into this really interesting thing in my head. I'm like, there's no internet on the subway, so what the fuck are you doing on your phone? And you look at people and they're just, like, writing an email that they'll send later or looking at their photos And what I found to be interesting is that um, the internet has allowed us, and this, again, is my own thought, not, not yours or anyone else's. The internet has allowed us to be our best self all the time. So it makes sense in a really selfish way that if I'm talking to someone and they're sending a photo on Instagram, that presenting themselves in the best light on Instagram is to them is, could be more important than the conversation that we're having, right? Like if you can make your fucking coffee look really cute with Visco cam or with Visco the app, and then send it out, people are going to think that you're like this really cool person. And I wonder how self-fulfilling that is for some people. I I mean, I think we all do it. I know I do it sometimes, but I've tried to get into a better habit of um, honestly, reading. Reading has... I haven't listened to a podcast in two weeks because I've been reading a book. It's been the greatest thing ever. I don't have the desire to be on my phone as much. It's been really, really nice. But I agree with you. It's like we're all sort of people get this thing. It's called I've heard it called tech neck. Um, and it's basically just like a shorthand for like neck pain and neck soreness because everyone has their head permanently down. Um, and it's just I don't know. It's sort of scary to me. It makes me think, have you ever seen the movie Wall-E, the Disney movie? It makes me think we're heading towards that, just at a really accelerated pace.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with technology and that particular um, meaning of it. Um, yeah, I, I usually read a lot and I, I'm a total book hoarder. I buy a lot of books in print because I just love, you know, having something tangible.
0: Yeah, I love it too. I'm the same way.
1: Yeah. Being on a train or like being somewhere and just reading a book, I just love it. Um, recently I did not remove Twitter from my phone, but I did turn off all the notifications on my phone, despite Gtalk and messages, because that's two ways that I communicate with most of my friends. So Uh I left that, but, and it's really refreshing because I don't really check it anymore. Like, I'm like, I don't, why would I, there's nothing. I mean, of course there are like articles or people have thoughts that are, I don't know, might be interesting for me but i could be doing so much stuff instead of be reading that and refreshing it constantly there are so yep. many interactions with people that i could be having right now and like you're not having them because you're in this world of you know where everyone or at least like majority is trying to be perfect as you said like i don't i don't buy that like i love human interaction i love when people are you know like in a way broken I guess or like raw just you know like not perfect which is why when I travel I just post really silly selfies with my friends and I don't care if it's fancy or not it's just something for me to remember the trip that I just had so Yeah. yeah I don't care about perfect I don't Yeah, I don't care about perfect and I don't care about being super connected all the time. I actually value the time when I'm like, there is no service on my phone. And I'm just like, this is great. I I went recently to Joshua Tree Park, which was my uh, first national park and kind of like nature experience in the U.S. Um, And it was great. There was no service. It was absolutely beautiful. I took pictures. I was super happy.
0: That's so, like, you know, when my girlfriend and I went to Italy, we sort of had a similar, similar situation. We went to Italy and we bought a Wi-Fi device. And the only reason why we bought the Wi-Fi device is so we could use it for maps on our phones. Because um, we were in Rome and then we were in Amalfi. We, and In total, we were there for about nine days. Five in Rome or five in Amalfi, four in Rome. And while in Rome, we wanted to go to certain things, but we didn't want to waste time getting lost. Getting lost is totally fine, but because we were there for such a short period of time, we wanted to make sure we could see what we wanted to see. When we didn't need a map, the Wi-Fi device was off. When that Wi-Fi device was off and we knew we didn't have internet service, we took less photos for Instagram. We didn't care about Twitter as much, and we actually got to you know, we went to, I forget what the name of the town was, but it uh, it was like right outside of Rome or like right over the, uh, the river. And you can walk up to like the park up at the top and you can see all of Rome. And it was just like really, really nice to be there with my girlfriend and not be like, oh my God, this is going to be a great Instagram photo. We were just like, holy shit, this is so cool to look at a city that was built hundreds and hundreds of years ago that has basically all of the world's history just right there and just to see it and enjoy it and appreciate it without the internet was the best thing we could have ever done. It was incredible. And Amalfi was even better because Amalfi, there was absolutely no internet connection. Like if it rained, you didn't have internet. This is how it worked. I didn't know what day it was. I didn't know what time it was. It was the best vacation I've ever had. Yeah,
1: I think, I think more people have to, like, I don't know, kind of understand and embrace that and, you know, like, kind of shift their priorities back to where they actually were, like, maybe 10 years ago or something, like, before the huge internet bubble, Um, like, I remember when I was seven or, like, even 10, when I was, like, running around with my friends, we had no phones, like, we didn't care, and, like, people, like, when you, set up a meeting with someone like you had to show up because there was wow. no way to tell them that you are not going to show up or exactly like way like you know more difficult than it is right now and right now everyone is like oh sorry 5 minutes before a meeting like i'm bailing on this because something came up which is fine but like you know i don't know people i feel like you know a lot of people shifted um their perspective and they're like so connected and they have this weird connection with, you know, like their online presence and online life that they think that is the real life or something. I mean, in a way, it is, sure, but um I don't know. They don't, they don't, I don't feel like they appreciate what they have like in terms of friendships. And uh, they don't appreciate when they travel and see or even not travel, just like in their, you know, like hometown or city, wherever they live.
0: You know, it's interesting that you bring some of that up. There's um um, there's an article and on, do you know, thoughtcatalog.com? Yeah. So I used to read it a lot because it had pretty good writing. And then it turned into BuzzFeed 10 Reasons Why You Hate Sleeping With Your Boyfriend, like stupid shit like that. And I stopped reading. But my buddy, my buddy Corey, he um, shared a, a link recently. I'll put it in the show notes. And it's about relationships. And actually, this, this woman, Jamie Varen, who I know through a few people, I don't know her directly, but she is, we have mutual friends. She wrote an article about relationships, cur- like current day relationships, and why most people aren't in them. And basically, the premise of it was, or the, as far as I read, I didn't read the whole thing. Uh, up to the point that I got to, the premise was most people aren't re- in relationships because we, we fear that there's something better out- else. There's something else that is better that is out there. And I think that sums up the internet culture as it is today. People take photos of themselves because they want to seem like they're better than they are. Right? It's something else that's better out there. People bail on you, like, "Oh, hey, let's go to the movies tonight," and they're always they always say maybe because there might be something better. And it's created this sort of culture, at least uh, at least in the states here that I've seen, and, and I've probably taken part of it myself, where you don't really settle on anything and it creates this half ass interaction with anything that you do, right? Like, if you came to the States, I would definitely take time to see you because one, we haven't met yet in person and two, you're traveling from nine hours away in the future to come hang out in New York. So I'd be like, yes, I'm going to go hang out with you. It would be really dickish of me to be like, yeah, yeah, we can get together really haphazardly and then... Because my friend's like, "Hey, open bar here." I'm like, "Okay, I'm just gonna ditch uh, Carolina and go do this." Like that's sort of rude. Like if you, if you, it, to me, it's always interesting when you start drawing out these scenarios that we all do and put faces to the people that you're you're ditching or the people that you're passing up for opportunities. You sort of feel a little bad about it. Um, and I think the internet has helped us remove the faces from those things. Like when you can, like you said, with five minutes before a meeting, someone bails. That's sort of fucked up you just wasted someone's time someone took the time out to respect you as a person take an hour out of their day or however long and now you don't have enough respect for them to reciprocate like I think that's sort of mean
1: I think that's a super insightful thing to say um that you just said apart from removing the face I totally agree with that but the other thing um about you know, like always looking for something better. That's such a sad, sad thing, you know, be observing. And I totally see it here, like not only U.S., like I see it here in Europe as well. Like people are so, like nothing is really good enough for them. Like the interaction isn't good enough. The place they went to isn't really good. Like, I don't know, there's this constant, you know, like, Grumpiness in a way or like not being satisfied with life and i I've been that way myself in the past, but I totally changed my perspective uh partially because I started working with amazing people who are like so you know like encouraging and so positive about life in general and so um, mature in thinking about it um yeah, I just kind of started to, you know, like embracing, okay, like this interaction might not be perfect, but this one is amazing. And like, and here I am in this coffee shop and this coffee is amazing. And I'm super happy about doing what I'm doing right now. And I don't have to be prettifying that. Like, I don't need, you know, like internet validation to tell me that, you know, what I'm doing right now, is, I don't know, good enough or something like that. I don't have to pretend a person who like I wanna be because I'm comfortable with the person I am. And I wish, you know, like everyone kinda of reflected on that and, you know, um started being more that way rather than just like kind of uh pretending and bailing on people they should be caring about.
0: I think you you summed that up and and we we're nearing the end. But um I think the main takeaway there is that people aren't comfortable with themselves so they're displaying what they would like to see versus accepting what they actually are in some ways i don't want to i don't want to typecast everyone in the world i don't know why some people send photos or not whatever um so there's a few questions that we typically ask first one is looking at where you are now knowing that you've done so many talks you've been incredibly successful in your career um at least at the very least by my standards, I think you do great work. Um, what would you tell your younger self if you could go back to when you were 16, and go back back in time and be like, Carolina, I've, I've got some knowledge for you. Here's what it is. What would it be?
1: Oh my God. Uh, first, thank you um, about the kind of words about my work. Um, oh my God, that's such a hard question. I think um, I would probably say because I'm an only child and that that usually means very, you know, like overbearing worried parents all the time that kind of spoil you a little bit. I would probably say, don't be a (laughs) dick. And I know it's, you know, vulgar and I know it's kind of ambiguous, but I, I don't, I don't know if I would like to like change my life or something like that. Give myself advice that would like alter my experiences. I think, I would just kind of try to force myself to be more considerate. Um, And, you know, like when you're, when you're young, you really don't, don't really get it at all in general. So I think, I think that's a good rule to like, you know, live by kind of try to be more empathetic towards yourself as a person, kind of try to accept yourself and towards others, which I think can be wrapped in this kind of vulgar statement of don't be a (laughs) dick.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's fair. I think that's concise. Um now extending this to the industry that you work in if somebody who was I don't know, uh coming out of college, you know, 2021 20, emailed you or even uh asked talked to you in person and said, "Hey, you know, I'm just breaking into this industry. Is there anything that you can tell me?" What would you tell them?
1: that's even harder question because I have a ton of things that I would probably tell him. Um, Well, I would probably tell them what worked for me, which I think is pretty good advice. Um, Don't get discouraged or always ask, you know, like always ask questions and don't be ashamed of asking questions and um, try to get things that, you know, like don't, get trapped by this thinking that like you're not good enough for something or like you don't deserve something because you totally do like I know it's kind of cheesy to say but I will say it anyway I think we're all beautiful people and I think we do have more opportunities that we kind of give ourselves credit for so Mm -hmm. I vote for basically you know trying to and aiming for achieving great things like because that's better than just trying to sell for something that you know you think is right for you but you could do so much better but you're kind of stopping yourself because you're not giving yourself credit so yeah I don't know just like be passionate about whatever you're doing and like don't sell for lousy jobs or people who are treating you badly like professionally and privately as well um I don't know I guess I guess that would be my advice
0: Nice. No, it's good. I think it's encouraging. Um, and then the final one is a secret fun time question it has absolutely nothing to do with this talk or the industry. I tend to make it up as I give you this little spiel. Um, and for yours, you are given the opportunity to morph or change into any animal, any animal at all, currently existing or extinct and you have to be that animal forever. What animal? like you have no choice. You can't say no. You have to pick one. What do you be?
1: <laughs> this is the best. I should totally just say fox, right? I mean, like, is there another answer? <laughs> I mean, it's my You know, answer. I didn't
0: I honestly didn't think about that. And and the and the and the
1: Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean that should be my answer, but it won't be my answer because my yeah. freaking answer is a lion.
0: That works. Why a lion?
1: Uh, well, I love cats, um, and I have a cat. If cats are kind of small, I would like to be kind of, like, bigger and faster, so a lion.
0: That's fair, and they happen to be the king. Uh, king of the, well, I guess if you're a female lion, you're the queen of the jungle, which is probably better than being the king. And how can people reach out to you if they wanted? they listen to this, and they're like, wow, she's really cool. I want to contact her. What's the best way? Twitter, email?
1: I think the easiest way is to find me on Twitter, which is Fox, and everyone remembers that. And um, if someone wants to write me an email, it's hi at fox.s, which also can be found on my website, which is on Twitter. So uh, yeah, I think Twitter is the, the most effective way of communication since this is how I usually uh, get back to people the, the fastest. And I don't want to be giving emails with my surname in it.
0: That's fair. No, that worked out. Well, cool. Carolina, I appreciate you joining me on the podcast today.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. That was amazing.
0: Yeah, have a good day.
1: You too.